Welcome to Climate Anxiety and the Kid Question, a podcast that explores climate change, how it impacts our emotions and sense of well-being in the world, and ultimately how we feel about having and raising children in this climate-altered landscape. I'm your host, Jade Sasser. In this episode, I talk to Finn, a high school climate activist who co-leads an organization focused on climate justice and leadership among youth. We talked about how distressing climate emotions can sometimes be made even stronger by the weight and the pressure of older generations' expectations of young people to save the planet. However, when it comes to the conversation about having children in a changing climate, Finn argues that queer communities have a lot to offer. Let's get into it. I'm Finn Doze. I am a queer youth climate justice activist. Uh, what part of the country are you in? I'm in the Bay Area, so just outside of San Francisco in California. Finn, we met through your activism. Can you tell me a bit about that activism? What led you to be an activist and what role it plays in your life? It really started with, during during the pandemic, I was facing a lot of paralyzation around sort of the news media framing of the climate crisis sort of around doom and gloom, sort of led me down this path where I just felt like I couldn't do anything. Um, I actually got in touch with some folks who are working at a local organization, which I now um, am a leading member at, the Bay Area Youth Climate Summit. And I applied and I, I didn't really know what this whole space was about or even exactly what being an activist was going to look like. I more just had a, a yearning to do something on a local level um, with environmental justice um, and community resilience. And I joined the organization and sort of grew up along with it. Yeah, and I would say that more broadly during this time, I I was re- really concerned with the wildfires in the Bay Area. I remember waking up one morning to the sky was just this big massive sort of Mars-like apocalyptic orangey orangey sky and it freaked me out I was I was like frightened and I didn't know and I didn't want it to become my reality so I felt like I had to do something I had to get involved and I've changed a lot throughout the process but I would say that that was the main um instigator I certainly remember that orange sky. That was the fall of 2020. I mean, those images were circulated all over the news, all over social media when those fires were going on. I don't think there was a a Californian who was not totally freaked out and wondering what is happening. And I don't know if you ever saw this, but a lot of people who were circulating the images, they would put it alongside this image from Blade Runner 2049 and it was the exact same colored sky and it was this narrative of we've already reached this apocalyptic future that we thought was so dramatic in these sci-fi films it's already here but I wanted to back up and to get back to something that you said a few minutes ago you said that you sort of grew up in this movement in this activist organization And you literally mean that you are young. This is a youth organization. You are a youth yourself. Can you tell me about that? How old are you? And how old were you when you started this activism? 
Yeah. So when I started more formal activism and grassroots organizing, I had just started my sophomore year of high school uh, and we had just sort of came out of the real middle of the pandemic. So I, at that time, I was 16. I'm now 18. So I really, I had really just, and I hadn't actually been at high school because the first year I spent on Zoom. So my entire high school experience has has been defined, I like to say, by my activism and by the community that I've been surrounded by in the activist space. I would also say too that growing up around the climate crisis for anyone, but particularly so involved in it um, because I'm doing grassroots work, it it has a large effect on, like it, it feels like a lot of weight on my shoulders, both in a positive and a more intense way. I would say that I feel so grateful to be so connected to a community that, you know, are dreaming up solutions and trying to push for a brighter future and something that we haven't seen in a long time in systemic reform. But it's also a lot to be growing up around such such an intense time. I mean, even I know we know that the 2020s, this decade, apparently is the most critical decade for climate action. And I'm just 18, you know, this, this is just the, it should be just the early part of my life. But this decade already, I feel so much pressure already that I we have to change right now. And I, I think it is really intense because no other generation has actually grown up in the context of scientists telling them that the, the, the decade they're growing up in, if we don't make a, if we don't make a change, um, you know, we're basically not going to be able to to reverse any of the impacts that we're doing to the, the stability of the earth. I want to hear more about that pressure. Does the pressure or weight or responsibility that you're describing, does it come in when you're reading those scientific reports? Does it come in when you're talking to older people? Where is it coming from? I would definitely say that the news media's framing of the climate crisis, which I've sort of zoned out from the mainstream narratives about it, were the ones that had their, it had the first effect on me in terms of being flooded. I mean, because my generation, Gen Z, is very much online. You know, that's a lot of the way that we interact with each other. So sort of meshed in between all of that is all the news that gets flooded. So that definitely has affected me a lot. I would also say this is the one that more affects me now as I'm more immersed in the space and know a little bit more about how to filter out some of the new stuff. A lot of times adults will come to me and say, you're doing such a great job saving the planet. Oh, we can't do it. Stuff like that. And it makes me really uncomfortable when I hear that because a lot of times these people are between the ages of like 45 or 70 or something and I'm like well you're still here right now Mm -hmm. we could be joining forces together you know you've been living on this earth longer than me you have a certain set of lived experiences um I it it frustrates me and confuses me why people you know just have passed along the torch when they still have 30 more years on this planet alongside me And I would say that is the main source of the weight that I feel in my shoulders are older generations telling me or even or even um, 
complimenting and thanking me for my activism to me it's not a compliment or it's not a it's not a thank you when it's a handing of responsibility that I didn't ask for yes I'm really glad that you've said that because I feel that discomfort too from a different perspective I have these conversations all the time with people in my peer group my age group and people who are older so I'm you know, kind of a young Gen Xer. And I have heard so many people, Gen Xers, boomers, talk about how impressive and exciting Gen Zers are because you all are, quote unquote, going to save the planet, going to solve these environmental problems, making everything better for all of us. And I often think when I have those conversations, what responsibility are we abdicating when we say that young people are going to save us. So when you feel that discomfort, how do you respond? By, by tuning, by tuning those voices out. And also too sometimes by, I would say I used to less, but now sometimes I'll respond with um, sort of like a small little like call to action and to say, oh, well, you can still get involved. I don't know necessarily how that lands sometimes. And sometimes it's quite awkward or sometimes people will chuckle when I say that, which mm-hmm. I find to be quite strange and frankly, um, even more annoying. But um, it's definitely a mix of ways how I um, approach approach what people will say to me. And some of the response just goes into realizing that you know, I really have to align myself with my gener- with my generation with and with other youth. I do think that intergenerational climate action is very important. And also too, I think sometimes at the end of the day, I can't be here shepherding an older generation into a movement when we have, when everything feels so intense and there's such a deadline, it feels sometimes to get stuff done. I think that it's really important to include everyone. And also, I think as a young person, I can't always be that torch for someone else when I'm, you know, just trying to navigate growing up. You mentioned that you're a leader of Bay CS, the Bay Area Youth Climate Summit. What is that organization and what work do you do? Yeah, so we're an entirely youth-led climate justice organization working at the intersection of climate literacy, education and movement building through grassroots organizing. So we focus on engaging the Bay Area's youth through monthly workshops and an annual summit, which is our flagship event, which basically connects people from different pockets of the Bay Area around youth climate activism and gives people the ability to step into a community and learn more about how activism can be something much more than just what the news frames it as. We like to really emphasize that we're not a movement against something, but we're a movement for something. We're fighting for a better future. We're not fighting against forces that we don't... When when we say fighting against something, we're automatically including the thing that we're trying to eliminate. So I don't even want to, you know, bring in the negative forces that are propelling the climate crisis. And moreover, I would say that BCS really tries to address the fragmentation in the climate movement 
um, on a local scale. So while I do think that international movements are super important and international organizations are important, I think it's hard to foster the community aspect. So we really try to work on a local scale in order to connect people more through in-person in-person spaces. Uh, the title of this podcast and the focus is Climate Anxiety and the Kid Question. And so one of the things that I have been really interested in for several years now is the ways that climate change lands on people mentally and emotionally. And earlier in this conversation, you alluded to that a bit, um, the feelings and emotions that you were experiencing as you got into this climate fight during COVID. So I wonder, can you tell me more about that, either those emotions that led you to do this activism or where you are now? I would say that it's definitely an emotional spectrum and the work I would say helps me confront some of those emotions, especially the ones that are around loss and hopelessness and distress and despair. I would say that my mo- the movement that I'm a part of creates the space to have more momentum and community mutual support and climate joy. Um, it's really rewarding seeing and being a part of the work that we're doing and seeing that the connections that are formed from, from connecting people in the, in the space. But I would say that also burnout is a, is a big issue that I face. And I know that a lot of my peers face, you know, we're juggling school, we're juggling running a youth organization, we're juggling growing up in the context of the climate crisis. I would say though, that prioritizing community and prioritizing the space to, to feel a sense of climate optimism helps to manage some of that burnout. In terms of where I'm at now with eco-emotions, I would say that it comes on a daily basis in waves. A lot of it comes from feeling a sense of frustration with the government not taking enough action. I, Whenever I see anything about, you know, more fossil fuel projects, projects being approved, it, it creates an emotional storm for me because it feels sort of invalidating about, you know, I'm finding year round to accelerate climate justice with my peers. And then someone just with a flick of their wrist in a day has approved a new oil project. It's just, it's a weird, it's a very weird storm of feelings that, you know, I don't think we always know how to navigate. Do you ever think about the prospect of becoming a parent someday? And if so, what are your thoughts about that? I would say that for me, it's not necessarily a question of do I think about it, but do I have the space to think about it? Because I would say that with everything going on with the climate and also too with how occupied I am with my grassroots organizing work, I don't feel a lot of space or mental capacity to even think about the prospect of having children. That's not to say that I wouldn't want to have children. It's just to say that I don't feel that I've even been provided with the the emotional capacity to really to really um, 
consider those thoughts. And then I would say that it's a, it's a twofold question, you know, on a di completely different other side of things as a queer person, I, and a climate justice activist, it's like a compounding of concerns and possible, uh, how do I phrase this, but a lot of questions come up around having children and how easy it's going to be and how, what are the barriers in place that it's going to be for me? Uh, I don't totally even know right now what the, what the scene is going to look like in the next decade or so around reproductive justice in this country and queer rights and Moreover, I don't even know what the climate's going to look like. So I think it's a hard for me to even really envision a future with children at the moment, just because there's so many things right in front of my face telling me about how much of a struggle it's going to be. That doesn't mean that I'm not open to the idea. I just think that we need spaces for people to have those thoughts and, and have the support and I, right now, I don't feel like there's a lot of space to, to navigate those feelings. Do you mean there's not enough space to navigate climate emotions or there's not enough space to navigate the way all of these sort of intersecting issues and traumas are coming together? I would say, yeah, there's not enough space to navigate how everything compounds each other and everything lies on the layers. It's definitely challenging because sometimes I don't even know how to really even say what I'm feeling because um, it's a lot of different things on top of each other, let alone think about if I could have kids. As I think, you know, I think we've talked about this before a little bit. I have spent the past couple of years researching a book that book is also called Climate Anxiety and the Kid Question. And in that book, I look at exactly what you're talking about, the ways that different intersectional aspects of people's identities, lived experiences, being from marginalized communities, et cetera, how those things come together with climate emotions and shape how people feel about the future and about bringing children into it. And one of the things that I have found in those interviews, to my surprise, is that most of the people I'm interviewing never have this conversation with friends or really with anyone. And I wonder, do you, do you feel like you're able to have this conversation with your peers or with anyone else? I think that you make a really interesting point because I, I don't think I've actually ever had this conversation with anyone besides the form of like a joke. I think in the climate space, a lot of, and a lot of youth um, like to joke about the future sometimes as a weird twisted way to, to feel a sense of like calmness about all of the anxiety and everything. So I will say sometimes people will joke like, oh, well, I yeah, if I can even have kids in the future climate or whatever. So that's only the dimension that I've ever been able to have this conversation only through like comments. I've never, and moreover, I've never had the experience of talking with a queer person who also is doing work in the climate community 
um, about the possibility of having children. And I think too, a lot of that comes from the fact that I don't have a lot of queer friends at my school, let alone queer friends doing climate activism. So it's weird to have that conversation. And I think that there's also barriers between those who, um, you know, face less reasons why they shouldn't have kids than for someone like me who's up against a lot of possible concerns. I also was thinking about with the point you were talking about, actually just last weekend, I went out to dinner with my mom and she sort of casually brought up in conversation that she'd like to have grandchildren. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was, I responded with, okay, that's a loaded um, comment. Yeah. And we've never had that conversation before. And I didn't know how to approach or even respond to it. Um so, so right now I think that I'm feeling a lot of um a lot of reasons to have more of those conversations with people who are going through similar challenges that I am. I'd also like to see more less struggle narratives and more hopeful, resilient narratives of queer people who are also doing climate work raising children. I feel like that's something that I've never really seen. It's not necessarily something that I've gone out and looked for either, but I don't really hear about a lot of success stories around raising kids while also being a grassroots organizer. <laughs> you brought up a point to about intention, and I was thinking about, like, if I were to have children, I don't know exactly when that would be, but um, probably sadly in a situation that's worse than we are with the climate right now. I think that there's a lot of pressure around carrying the intention and carrying a lot of weight around how you, how you raise a child in such a circumstance. Um, I think there will be a lot more challenges around how, how careful you are with your children in terms of letting them have a happy childhood and not feel so much weight from such an early start. I think that's something that I, that I'm frightened and um, by is if just for me, I'm facing such levels of ego anxiety right now where we are knowing too, that this may be the one time in my life where the climate is as stable as it is. I can't say exactly that for sure, but right now in terms of the progress that's being made on international scale looks that way. I don't, I would be frightened for children growing up because I think that children need to have a happy childhood and they need to be, be able to be outside. And I really, I don't know what that will look like. So it will, I'll definitely be a lot of pressure to carry a lot of intention moving forward. As you think about these issues, parenting in particular, um, the possibility of parenting in the future, whether that is something that you ultimately want or not. Are there ways, are there things that can be done or that should be done to make this a more hopeful space where you can feel more optimistic about a future potentially with a child in it? 
I think that there needs to be more conversations on the same scale that the news media talks about um, mainstream climate change issues like natural disasters. There needs to be more conversations on those platforms that share success stories around and not just success stories, but stories of possibility, stories showing people um, already raising children with such awareness and such intention around climate. And I think that gives youth like me the ability to think critically and tap into our own agency and make the decisions for ourselves with a bit more informed knowledge. Because I think it's hard because I don't even necessarily know the strategies that folks are folks are using to raise children during climate crisis. But sharing those stories um, in a way where, where we have more access to them and more access to new ways of thinking and new ways of knowing will give me more of a of a chance to to think about if those are decisions that I want to make. I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that I really don't know a lot about potential ways to have children during climate crisis. And I also think that there needs to be more conversations around the intersections of identity factors and raising children uh, during this time. I think too, some of those conversations could even be facilitated in schools I think a lot of schools will are have have uh, programs around basically like sex ed and human development, and maybe shifting some of those conversations to include a bit of emphasis on our changing climate could help youth feel um like a sense of possibility for having children. Because for for example, I had my school is relatively progressive, I would say, around social justice topics but we didn't have any mention of climate during our human development courses. So I would say that that was weird for me because that's something that I'm, th that, that I'm thinking about on a daily basis, practically from the moment I wake up to the moment that I go to bed, not having that conversation um, is, is really hard. You know, just reflecting back on what you were saying earlier about climate joy, I wonder whether, you know, the thought of planning and creating the kind of family that you want in the future, whatever that looks like, whether it's parenting your own children or being involved in the lives of other children who are meaningful to you, I wonder if that might also um, maybe be a part of the climate joy that you might create in the future. Yeah, I, I think too, while you were mentioning that, I was thinking about queer communities and the ways that a lot of queer communities are mutable and like rely on each other. I would also, I would say that when thinking about climate joy, I'm thinking about possibility. And I think that this crisis presents so much possi possibility for changing the way that our world and our systems and our ways of knowing are structured. And when thinking about raising children, think that my ideal would be raising a child in a community. And I think that the queer community is already doing those things and has been doing those things um, in a really interesting 
and flexible way for a long time. And that's why I think that queerness actually presents a very interesting sort of paradigm to, to shifting the structures that we already have. And it's a paradigm of resilience and transformation and adaptation. And I think that that's something that can help us create new frameworks for raising children in more supportive communities. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Climate Anxiety and the Kid Question with me, Jade Sasser. I produce the show with production assistance from Elliot Fong at KUCR Riverside. Please be sure to join us for the next episode.